Father, you know right now that we need you. That our ability to hear and to understand and to heed your word is impossible without your spirit. Doing all of the convincing of what is said from your word is true. So I pray now that he would fill us all, that, you know, that he would rule and guide us in this moment. That he, in your word, would help us to be steadfast in your word. That he, God, would cause our ears to hear and our hearts to be warmed by the gospel being presented on today. Someone is coming in, God, feeling defeated, doubting you, really unsure if Christ is enough through their suffering. So God, will you please make your word clear? Will you please convict? And if so, will you please convert? Then convince us, God, that it's a good thing for us being conformed to the image of your son. Will you please do what I cannot do? Change lives in this moment. I ask in your son's name. Amen. I have a question for you. If on this earth you suffered day and night until Christ calls you home, would you you follow him? If he allowed you to suffer over and over, never giving up, is he enough? Or would you ask God in the midst of your, in your suffering to give me something else outside of Jesus to make this tolerable? There's a group of people out there that really believes that I'm really concerned about that if we just do the right thing, that God will bless us. And so there's really no need of suffering for the sake of the gospel. It's called the prosperity gospel. That if I just do right, there's no need for me to suffer. That I can speak against cancer. I, I, can, I can speak against diabetes. That, 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 that I can speak against poverty. And, and because of my obedience to God, God will Believe me, that teaching is nowhere in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the Bible says those who live for God will suffer persecution. Then there are those who say, man, God, if, 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 if I, would, I would follow you if you just give me a promotion, if you make my marriage better, if you, got, 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 if you give me more success, if you, 
if you keep my child from suffering, if you keep my marriage going well, if you keep things in my life comfortable, I follow you. You then will be enough. But then there's this group like Paul that says, I just want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. That, that, that I want to be like him, talk like him, act like him. In the midst of suffering, I can say that Christ and Christ alone is enough. Uh, Mark Testardi yesterday gave me what is called the gospel math. He said that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And as he said that, I wondered, can I really and do I really believe that if I only have salvation in Jesus, that God doesn't have to do anything else, but all that God has done for me is enough for me to enjoy and to be satisfied. If the truth be told, that's not what many, that's not what many of us are today. That we are saying that if God would make my life better and not show me my brokenness, I would be, I'd be good. That we, we want more from him and not more of him because the truth is, Jesus is not enough. When I look at Job and what God allowed Job to go through, the losing of his kids and finances and his body being uh, uh, full with, with pain and even his wife are trying to convince him to curse God and die. Job, the Bible says, did not sin against God with his mouth. Job even said that though God slay me, yet will I trust in him. Because for Job, Jesus was enough. This ideal has been tested in my life for the past few weeks. Is Jesus enough? Do you, am I asking God to do something else outside of being satisfied in him for me to be happy? And the answer is yes. I'm, I'm asking God to do this and do that, but he says, son, no, no, I am enough no matter what goes on. So he, he's, he's, he's trying to refocus me and to center my affections upon him. And if you're going through suffering of any kind, he has one goal in mind. Just to make you more like him. So there's biblical proof that in the midst of suffering, 
Jesus is enough. He can be enough. Luke, a Gentile writer who wants to convey to all that Christ came to save all people, but also Luke highlights the prayer life of Jesus. If you add up Matthew, Mark, and John in the book of Luke, there are, uh, you'll find more times Christ praying than any of the Gospels combined. If you add up Matthew, Mark, and John, Luke highlights the prayer life of all of them together combined. Luke is saying, we not, we not, we not only have a Savior that saves, we, we have a Savior who prays. But today, not only will we see that he prays to, to, to enjoy the fellowship with his Father, but he also prays for us. Luke 22, as now we're turning to, you see in the first six verses that there is this plot to kill him. From seven to verses 23, there is this preparation of the Lord's Supper and there's this institution of the Lord's Supper. From 25 to 30, you see that there's this debate among the boys and who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And Christ being God, he sets them straight that those who decide to serve will be greatest in the kingdom. And now he's going to digress some. He digresses now and he turns and he looks at his boy, Peter, who he calls Simon in verse 31. And listen to verse 31 as we see something that should, man, that should startle and yet bless us at the same time. We see that Satan makes a demand of us. He says, Simon, Simon, look out. Simon? He calls him Simon when he's already changed his name to Peter. Maybe some say he's done this to, for Peter to look at his, his, his frailness as a man. That, 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 that he's pointing out the, the humanness of, uh, of Simon. So rather than call him Peter, his new name, he calls him Simon. Then he says his name twice, Simon, Simon. He's trying to get Simon's attention. This is a sign of affection and intimacy. He says, Simon, y'all been, y'all been arguing about who's the greatest, but Simon... Simon, look out. Why? Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now, he's talking to Simon, but he's addressing the crowd of disciples. The word you here is not singular. It's plural. 
So he's saying to Simon and his disciples while looking at Simon, hey, Satan wishes to sift you like wheat. He wishes to sift you like wheat. If you understand biblical times and this ideal of sifting, there was two phases. There was the idea of threshing and then they called it winnowing. They had this fork. Here's the ideal. They would go out in the field and grab this stalk and they will place it on the, uh, 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 on the floor. There's two ways of doing this. Either having the oxen, the, the oxen come in and trample on the wheat, on, on the stalk, or they have this instrument called flail. It's a flail. This flail was a piece of wood that, that was about this, this long. It was about that wide. It had, it had a chain. It had this piece of steel on it. And now you have Satan who needs to ask permission, though he's making a demand, can I sift your bars like wheat? Here's the good news. Satan has to ask Christ for permission to sift us. That Satan cannot do this on his own will. That he must get permission to mess with God's sons and daughters. But then he demands, it's the only time in the Bible this word is used in the entire New Testament. This word Satan demanding as if he has a right to sift. The idea here is that I'm going to sift your boys. This piece of wood with chain with a piece of steel at the end. And Jesus does not say no. He allows Satan like he suggested Satan, to Job, he allows Satan in this text to say yes. So you got this wheat down with this, with this, with this piece of wooden chain and steel. And what God is allowing Satan to do in various ways is to beat Beat over and over again. Beat. Because the grain has to come out of the, the stalk and the more they beat, the better the, the grain from the stalk comes out and they beat over and over Again, Satan does not let up. 
And, with, and, they, when, and then when they get the grain to a certain point, then they have this, this fork that looks like a, a pitchfork. And what the farmer would do then was that he would take this pitchfork, he'd take it up, he'd do this, and he'll shake it, praying that the chaff, the part that's no good, would fly away. And that the grain, the part that is good, would drop down. And they would go back again, doing it again. Beat. Beat. Fork. Shake. Chaff, what's not good, go away. Grain, what's good, would come down. And this is the picture of what Satan, of what God allows Satan to do with our faith. Satan is going, God is going to use Satan to prove, to see if our faith is real. Because the chaff is things that we look to For dependence. And anything outside of God that we look to, outside of God the Father, the, the Son, and the Spirit of God, it's just chaff. It's no good. But if you don't have faith in God, if your faith is not in who God is and what God has done, it's just chaff. Come here, Satan. Job touches money because there are some people who put their trust in money. Chaff, family, kids, the state of our kids, that we, that we look to them more than we look to God, that they would, they would sometimes interrupt what we, what we would give to God because we will give to our kids. And God is saying, even your kids, when it comes to me, it's chaff. It's chaff. Your health that you're so overly concerned about To me, it's just chaff. Make it real. Valentine, this church plant, it's just chaff. Because I want your faith to be in me and nothing else. At the end of the day, am I enough? And look at your life. Because God is allowing Satan to sift you, to beat and shake until you realize that and until you have nothing but Christ, he's all that you need. And are you there? And God allows Satan to beat and shake, 
to beat and shake to all you have is Jesus. And he becomes enough. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He'll shake up your marriage. He will shake up your job. He will shake up your health. He will literally allow Satan to beat you until Christ and Christ alone is enough. It hurts. It's hard. But he's jealous for himself. He wants nothing in this life to compare to him. And he uses Satan to prove it. God allows Satan, his enemy, his fallen creature, to beat us until Christ becomes enough. Praise God that a holy God uses an unholy creature to make us holy where we depend nothing on but Jesus Christ. And that's good news, y'all. When you have nothing left in life but Jesus, can you say amen? He will strip you to all you have is him. He will allow Satan to demolish your world until all you have is him. He will allow Satan to cause havoc in your home to all you have is him. Jesus is enough. Here's the part I love about this. Simon, Simon, Satan demands to sift you all like wheat. But Simon, I prayed for you. That your faith would not fail. The beauty in this passage is that we have a savior who is now acting as a high priest for Simon that says, I prayed past tense that your faith not fail in the future. (laughs) Simon, I pray back then that when Satan beats you and sifts you, your your faith wouldn't fail. Now, your faith, it may falter. Your your faith may be shaky. But Simon, I prayed for you back then that while Satan is sifting you now, your faith would not cease or stop. That's good news. Simon, I know that the, I know that Matthew might have said, "Man, Simon, I pray for you." But man, we know people who say that and they and they never pray for us. Christ is saying, "I prayed past tense." And Peter, Simon, you did not ask me to pray for you. You are a recipient of my past work for your present faith that it would not fail. And Simon, it's a fact 
I prayed for you. Jesus can pray one time and it'd be a done deal forever. But can I just top that one? Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says that he actually lives to intercede for us now. Not only has Christ prayed, but he came down from heaven, lived a perfect life, died a hideous death, got up from the grave, went up to heaven, is now sitting at the right hand of God, and he's just not chilling, he's praying for you. (laughs) That while Satan is down here beating you, testing your faith, God knows it won't fail. Why? I prayed for you. That's, that's good news. So I don't care how bad it gets, how tough it is, your Savior has prayed for you. And your faith won't cease. It won't stop. I got you, Simon. I got you. I know it's hard. But I, I, I prayed for you back here. But it's like, it's hard now. Your faith then, it won't cease. It won't stop. It won't cease to exist, Simon. And it's not because you are so gifted as a prayer warrior. It's not because you, you know all the books of the Bible and you pray them well. No, it's because Jesus, our Savior, who now is a high priest, lives in the sea on our behalf. Jesus, right now, and all the time, is praying that your faith not fail. That your faith not break. Though it may bend, though it may bow, because he has prayed for you, it won't cease and it won't fail. He goes from addressing the whole crowd about sifting to now you, singular, Peter, I prayed for you. Singular. He's now focused on Peter because y'all know Peter, Peter is the guy that walked on water. Peter is the one that God called on the ship. Peter is the one who actually identified Christ as the Messiah. Peter is the one that, who would actually preach the gospel of, of Christ in Acts 2 and save 3,000 souls in proclaiming the gospel. Peter would be the leader of the disciples. And he said, Peter, because you are the leader, I prayed for you. It's going to get hard, Peter. You will end up dying hung upside down. But even in that, Peter, your faith won't fail. Here it is, Simon, Simon. I pray for all your boys. I mean, uh, uh, Satan desires, he demands to sift all you and your boys like wheat. But Simon, you, you in particular, I, I pray for you that your faith not fail. Here is Christ's encouragement. When you turn back, <laughs> Peter, I know in 12 hours, you're going to deny me three times. 
Peter, I know that, that, that while you're trying to warm yourself up, they're going to ask you, do you know Jesus? And they're going to say, you're going to say, Peter, no, I don't know. Luke even gives the, the account of Peter cursing. Cur- Peter start cussing, y'all. I don't know that man. And look, and Luke gives the account of, of, of Peter cussing folk out. Say, I don't know Jesus. Get that. And but then Christ says, even before that, Peter, when you've turned back, that is, when you have re- repented, when you've come to your senses, when you've went from doing bad to doing good, Peter, I know, yo, I, I looked up the word when in the Greek and uh, 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 in Latin. It wasn't, there wasn't a word if, it simply means at one point of time, Peter would turn back to Jesus. Peter would turn back to Jesus and Christ would encourage him. Now, Peter, when you turn back, strengthen, establish, make firm your brothers. Strengthen, establish, make firm your brothers. Peter, I didn't take you through that for at the end with you, Peter. That since I prayed for you, Peter, I'm saying when you repent, strengthen your brothers. And, and Mark chapter 6, y'all know the story, help me here. Peter, Peter denies Jesus. Uh, he, he goes off and he's nowhere to be found. Mark chapter 16, it talks about the day that Christ arose from the dead. And there's, and there it's, it's this Sunday and Christ, he's come back and he's found Mary and them. They've, they've come down to this grave and, and Christ is not gone. He's not there. The, the, uh, 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 the stone is moved away. Mary and them come in and say, man, what, what's up? And then there, there's this angel inside the uh, a cave saying, man, he's not here. And this angel tells Mary and them, go tell his disciples and Peter. Tell Peter I'm not done with him. I know he's denied me. I know he's turned his back against me. I know he feels like he's a failure. But remember, Christ said, Peter, I pray that your faith will not fail. And just because in life we fail God often, and y'all, everyone in this room, we fail God. But when we are faithless, the Bible says that God is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Maybe you're asking, what is it that God is trying to do uh, that while we are being sifted by Satan, what is the goal of the sifting? The ultimate goal of the sifting is for us to become more like Jesus. 
Maybe you're asking, well, how does that look? There are four things that we see that, that, that while Satan is sifting us, beating us, and shaking us, letting the bad go and the good fall, testing our faith in God to ensure that Christ is enough, that him plus nothing equals everything. That's what the shifting is all about. Saying that Christ and Christ alone is enough. And nothing else. So what is God trying to do in this period of sifting us? Biblical sifting always leads to a conforming, a conforming of Christ. That, that what God is trying to do is that, is, is, that, is that the good that God allows to make through the sifting is us being made like Christ, that's why Romans says, and we know that God is able to cause all things to work together for our good. What Satan means for bad, God turns into good. God can take this, this beating and help us to be broken to believe that Christ is all that we need. Four things in the sifting that we, that we see, that we Learn while we are being sifted by Satan, allowed by God to be conformed to Christ and knowing that in that Christ is enough. Four things. Number one, of these four things, that while we're sifting, there's an increased trust in God. That while God is allowing Satan to sift us, to beat us, that our trust, our hope, our waiting on God increases. Listen, I know things are rough, that God is allowing Satan to sift, to beat, um, to beat and to shake you up. But he's doing it so that you may learn how to trust him. What else is he doing? That while you're going through the sifting, not only are you trusting in him, but you're now seeing the sovereignty of God in a different way. That while you're going through this sifting process, you begin to realize that God is in control. Now, in sifting, Satan does not control the outcome. God does. Hear me on that. In sifting, Satan has a limit. He can cause conflict. He can cause chaos. But he can't can't control the outcome. Because in the sifting, God is still in control. And Satan only can do what, what, what God allows. So here it is, I'm, the, the end, the sifting, while I'm being conformed to Christ and realizing that Christ is enough, I'm trusting now, my increase in God, uh, trusting him is growing. I'm seeing his sovereignty in a, in a whole new way. Three, there is an, uh, an acceleration of spiritual growth and sifting. Without the sifting, you might stay stagnant. 
without the sifting, God allows Satan to beat you to realize how broken and how weak you are and how much you need God to get through this. That, 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 that the idea of spiritual growth might be hindered if God doesn't allow the sifting process to grow. Sifting matures you. Sifting, it grows you. So it causes you to trust God, to, to, to see God's sovereignty in a new way. It causes you to, to grow spiritually, but also there's an increased fruitfulness. But in the sifting, God is able to produce fruit. He's able to bear the fruit of the Spirit and other forms of fruit in the midst of sifting. Omni and those who are visiting. I love the fact that God, uh, God addresses the whole crew that Satan wants to sift you all, but he focuses on Peter because Peter is the leader of them all. Omni, God has been sifting me. And I have failed time and time again. But he has prayed for me that my faith not fail. The son that when you get to a certain point, I want you to turn around, repent, and now go strengthen and encourage your brothers and your sisters. I'm saying that in the midst of what all God is doing in and through Omni, we are learning to trust God, to see God's sovereignty. We're learning that in this that we're going to grow spiritually, and that God will produce fruit. Here's what I'm asking of those who are a part of Omni. Just as Christ prayed for Peter, and I know that Christ lives to intercede for me, I'm asking you all to pray for me. Pray, number one, that Christ is enough. That I don't need anything else outside of him to feel successful. To feel like I've made it. I don't need to be a part of this association or this network to feel like I've made it. I've made it because I'm in Christ, that's a done and settled deal. I'm saved. My, I am a citizen of heaven. I am a son of God. I am good. 
because Christ is enough. Though I struggle with that over and over, he is enough. And I want to encourage you all that too. But, but not only pray for me, pray for my family. We've had some struggles. We've had some real struggles because I've looked outside of Christ for something that I only can find in him. And so my marriage, it isn't great. It's okay. But I know Satan is sifting. He's going to work on me and my wife. He's trying to come in and divide us. He's working overtime on our marriage. And I must admit, I've allowed him to seep in a little. But now I'm saying, Omni, pray for us. I cannot lead Omni if my marriage is not healthy. Omni, hear me say this, I will walk away. I will walk away before I cheat on my wife. You don't have to worry about that. But I'm asking before that happens, pray. Pray that Satan does not seep in. Three, pray that though I know my faith won't fail, that I won't let discouragement and depression win in my life. I've had some low moments where I've been diagnosed with a low-grade depression. Satan is beating the way out of me. but it's to get me to a point where I know that Christ is enough. And as as often as I don't see that, I make it about me and not him. He's beating me over and over. And God is allowing him to. And I I don't always win. But he said, when he turns, when when you repent because I prayed for you, son, go strengthen, go establish, go firm, fix your brothers. I'm not above failing but above faltering. I mean, I need your prayers. I know a rough season is coming. And I need you to join me. To lift your bar up. 
that I don't give in to the tricks and schemes of Satan. Because there's been times where I wanted to. Will you please pray for me? Will you please lift up my family? Will you please ask God to strengthen my heart that I may know that the only, the only thing, the only person I need is Jesus. That me being saved is enough. That me being in Christ is enough. That me being a son of God is enough. That me having God as my father, it is enough. While he beats me over and over again. So why don't we just go to God and pray, go to God in prayer. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for my family? We all are being sifted and we, and we know, but in this particular text, the Bible says that Christ turned and he prayed for Peter. That while God is sifting me, pray that he would re- remove anything or anyone that I've learned to depend on outside of him. Pray that I would return back to my first love. Omni, I know that sifting is a grace from God. Sifting going on in your marriage, in your life, in your finances, in your health, it's a grace from God. He beats you. He allows you to be beaten until you become broken. that you might see a great need for Jesus. How badly must we believe and live like in the midst of sifting that Jesus is enough? And while you're praying for me, will you pray for yourself? We all are being sifted in some shape, form, or fashion. God, our Father, is allowing Satan, our enemy, our adversary, to sift us, to try our faith. Do we believe that Christ is enough? Have we tasted and seen that he is 
good and blessed are those who have the refuge in him. Christ is enough. In the midst of suffering, man, we get a chance to partake of the one who keeps us in our suffering. The one who prays for us in our suffering. The one who for the joy set before him endured suffering. Now we get a chance to look away unto him and to feast on him. Communion allows us to look back to what he's done. It allows us to look now and to look in what he's doing. It allows us to look forward to what he will do at his consummation. Communion is a time where, man, we continue to set our hearts aright with God. Where we come and we, we partake of the wine that is symbolic of his blood that reminds us that our sins are forgiven. We eat this bread that reminds us of a sinless body being broken for us that we too may become sinless in him. That we are sinless in him. So as now you allow the spirit of God to move, we're asking you to ready your hearts not only to receive communion, but also to respond through the giving. That what Christ has done enough should be more than enough for you to to give back to him. Not as a, a payment for what he's done. We cannot pay him back. But we can show how grateful we are for what he's done for us. Now, in the past, and forever. So as the, the Spirit of God leads you to, to come and to receive his body and to drink of his blood and to respond by giving, you're now released by the Spirit of God to come and, and to partake of Christ and to feast off his body and to drink of his blood and to experience a refreshness to your soul.